0: Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. We actually look at two passages, but the other one we're not going to get to until the very end. Uh, so thank you, Pastor Luke, for the opportunity to be here. It's uh, it, we, I was here once before, so uh, enjoyed that time and uh, appreciated the worship team, uh, the djembe. I, I kind of do the drums at the church where we attend sometimes when we need it. And so uh, I enjoy that. And I didn't know that Luke was quite an accomplished musician as he was. When he pulled out two capos, uh, I thought, wow. So that's a drop D capo and a regular capo. And uh, it worked, Luke. I know y'all were trying to figure it out here, but it was great. So thank you so much uh, for leading us uh, in worship today. You know, the holiday time's a great time for many people. It's also an incredibly hard time for many people. Um, People struggle. You know, when Luke was saying, I think you were here um, one time before, that's right. And it seems these days we kind of measure things in terms of COVID, right? It was pre-COVID I was here. Um, So that kind of gives you an idea of how long ago that might have been. Uh, So people wrestle with life, they wrestle with sickness, um, death, you know, holiday time, some people are just getting the news that there may not be another Christmas, uh, that they'll be together as a family, uh, because the doctors say there's only X amount of time to live. It's stage four. Uh, Some have lost loved ones, for the first time this year there's going to be an empty chair, at the table and it's really really hard some things they always did as a family they won't be able to do not at least the way they used to because so and so is not there anymore maybe they read the Christmas story Uh, maybe they prayed special prayer blessing over the family life's hard and you know when we think about the very first Christmas uh, it was hard We may not think of it in those terms, but as we're going to see today from God's word, God came to meet us in all the messiness and the pain of life. In particular, I want to ask you a question as we get started today. Do you struggle with fear? I do. I think as humans, we all do in some form or fashion. Do you know the first emotion named in the Bible after humanity disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden was fear? Adam says, when God says, Where are you? after he eats the fruit he's not supposed to eat. Adam said, I heard you coming, and I was afraid, and I hid. I remember Tim Keller, a pastor in in New York, sharing a message one time from the book of Psalms about praying our fears. And he said, it's interesting, when a baby comes out of the womb, as Luke mentioned, we have two sons, they come out doing what? (laughs) Crying. And some people wonder, you know, uh, Keller reflects, what kind of cry is that? Is it a cry of doubt? Like, uh, hey, I'm not sure about this, this new setting here. What's going on? Um... Is it a cry of frustration or anger? Like, stop your, putting your finger down my throat and stop grabbing me. And It seems that the first cry is a cry of fear. I was in this womb. It was, it was warm. There, there were walls around me. Like, I felt secure. Sometimes when babies are crying, even to this day, what do you do? You wrap them in a little blanket. You hold them tight. And there's a sense of calming that comes when they know that they're secure. We have a little puppy uh, <laughs> She owns the place, Chihuahua. And she will be biting and jumping and doing all kind of stuff, and sometimes I'll just stand up and grab little Bella and hold her close, and my wife gets frustrated, because she says, "Why does she come down for you when you do that?" Of course she knows. She said, "I think she feels secure." Kind of changes things, doesn't it? So, why do we fear? Why do we wrestle with this? How are those fears calmed? I think God has a word for us today about this. Look at Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And this is Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. That betrothed is like we would think of engagement. Two people are engaged, they're going to be married. But before they came together, so we got to think a little bit here, in first century Jewish settings, uh, a man and a woman would be betrothed together, they would be pledged to be married. And that was a binding relationship for them in their culture. In fact, the only way to dissolve a betrothal was through a divorce. You know, in our culture today, two people are engaged, they call it off a couple of months before, you might have wasted the money on the invitations, you might have to cancel a deposit on a, on a reception hall, but other than that, it's painful, but the two people go there two different ways. Not so in the first century. Two people are betrothed to be married, this is a legally binding engagement. The only way that's dissolving is through divorce, with witnesses. Okay, so this is a big deal here, but during the betrothal period, they don't consummate the union because they're not married. And so the betrothal period was a time, among other things, to make sure the two were pure, Uh, the wife was pure, the wife-to-be was pure. And so it's during this betrothal period, when they've not come together in physical union, that Mary, we're told is found with child. She's pregnant. But notice we're told at the end of verse 18 that this is from the Holy Spirit. That's very important. Now, here, here, press the pause button. You and I know this, but there's one other person in this story that doesn't know this yet, and that's Joseph, right? Joseph's the husband-to-be. He's pledged to marry, uh, marry Mary. And uh, he knows he's not the dad because he finds out she's pregnant. So this is not good news. Joseph is not thinking about singing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem at this point. Right? This is not the best news of his life. This is the worst news of his life. All of his best laid plans, his, his bride-to-be pledging themselves to honor God, to have a family one day, kids one day. All of that best laid plan is upended in a moment so look at what happens it says her husband verse 19 joseph being a just man now we're told two things about joseph he's a man of conviction being just doesn't mean joseph's perfect we we know he's not perfect he's riddled with fear we're going to find out here in just a little bit but he wants to do what god wants him to do and according to the book of deuteronomy if two are betrothed together and the wife becomes pregnant, then that's grounds for divorce. And so Joseph wants to obey what God wants him to do. He's a just man. He wants to be obedient. But notice it also says this. He doesn't want her to put her to public shame. So he wants to do this as quietly as possible. A couple of witnesses and just kind of move on. But this is very difficult for Mary. Scholars will tell us that if a woman becomes pregnant during this time, even if the husband does put her away quietly as Joseph's trying to do, she's going to have that child. And people will know. And she will be brought to public shame. Her family will be brought to public shame. My wife and I were talking about this, uh, thinking about this message. Joseph's struggling with this. Think about it. If he proceeds with the marriage... Then what does it look like? This looks like it's his child that was had out of wedlock prior to them being married. He knows he's not the dad. So his reputation comes under a shadow. This is a very, very difficult time. And Joseph's wrestling with this. What do I do? You know, I think a lot of times you and I wrestle with fear primarily because we don't know what God is doing and we don't know what to do in light of what he might be doing. And so we wrestle with the uncertainty. We're torn. Our hearts and our minds are going in two different directions. How, how do we make this happen? I was bringing my son to work yesterday, our youngest. And uh, we're talking about, I don't know, some plans he had laid out and said yeah that sounds like a good plan he said well you know unless you know such and such happens I said yeah I said you got to always remember Josh about life it's always subject to change right what about you you got some best laid plans you have desires for your kids and you think picture perfect what it's all going to be like then life happens and it doesn't turn out the way you're thinking and you're fearful you're gripped with fear you don't know what's going to happen And so look at Joseph, he's, verse 20, he's considering these things. He's kind of debating what to do. He knows what God's word says to do, but he wants to do it in a way that's quiet. So while he's considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appears. (laughs) Shows up to him actually in a dream. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, God would sometimes speak to people in dreams. So God is at work here. In fact, one scholar says that if you read this story carefully, there's only one person really at work in this whole story. Mary's passive, right? The Holy Spirit, uh, she's supernaturally conceived, so she's receiving this work of God, the supernatural work of God to send his son. Joseph's thinking about what to do, but he actually doesn't do it yet. He's just considering it, but then God's at work. God is the one working supernaturally through the power of his spirit. God comes to Joseph, appears to him in a dream, and notice what the angel of the Lord says to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Now that's interesting, because if your eyes rewind a little bit and go back to the previous verse, it doesn't mention the word fear yet. But the angel says, don't fear. Why? Because he was dealing with fear. And don't be afraid about what, Joseph? Sometimes when an angel would show up and would say, don't fear, it seems to be because an angelic presence is showing up in their life, and angels are not little kind of creatures that float around on on clouds and play little harps. I mean, they are the Lord's heavenly host, right? In fact, when Luke says the angels show up, they are sorely afraid, it says. (laughs) So usually what angels would say is, don't be afraid, relax. Why? Because if an angel showed up in (laughs) reflecting God's heavenly court setting, uh, you and I would probably get, get a little nervous. Okay? But that doesn't seem to be why the angel says, don't fear here. It's not that the angel's just showing up in this dream, but notice what he says, don't fear. Why? What's the fear connected to? Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. So it seems that Joseph is fearful about this decision he's already determined to make, which is to do what God said, but to do it quietly. And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, notice that next little word, for. It tells us the reason why he should not be afraid. Okay, so why? Because that which is conceived in her, Joseph, it's not what you think. It's actually... From the Holy Spirit. So the first time Joseph comes to know now what you and I have known all along. That's why we're not nervous as we read it. Because we know. But what is Joseph thinking? Well, Joseph may not be able to write a scientific textbook on human conception like people could do today. But he knew where babies come from. And he knew that if he's betrothed to Mary and she's pregnant, he's not the daddy. What's he thinking, humanly speaking? She's been unfaithful. Infidelity. He is not thinking a supernatural work of God to send the Messiah into the world. He's thinking this is horrible. But the angel says, No. So you need to change your understanding of what's happening here. And when you do that, your fear will begin to lose its grip on your heart and on your mind. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. Now, this is connected to the Hebrew name Joshua. Yeshua. And many, many times in the Bible, right, names are significant because they point to something about who the person is and what the person will do in their life in terms of God's plan for that person to work in and through their life. And so the name Joshua means the Lord saves. So notice what the angel says. She's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. There's the word for again. Why? Because he's going to save. There's the key idea in the name. He's going to save his people from their sins. So this is a supernatural work of God in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. That God is sending the Savior and Deliverer into the world. And this deliverance is not going to be some kind of geopolitical upheaval right here in your time. This is going to be the ultimate deliverance of God's people, saving them from the deepest bondage they've ever known in all of human history, their sin. And so Joseph is told, don't be afraid. God is at work. And when you come to understand that, then fear begins to lose its grip on our hearts, on Joseph's heart. Now at this point, Matthew kind of presses the pause button on the story. And he speaks to us again as the readers. And notice what he says in verse 22 and 23. All this took place, all that's going on here, All this took place to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. You see that word fulfill? It means that God remembers his promises and doesn't just call them to mind. He completes them. He makes good on them. He fulfills them. Because God is faithful. You and I struggle with that. We may sometimes say, hey, I'm going to do this for you. And we have the greatest intention in the world, but we fall through. Or even if we do it, we don't quite do it like we said we would do it. You ever bring somebody and get them to fix something at your house and they kind of do it, but not quite like you thought it would be, (laughs) right? God doesn't do that. He doesn't have any closet in his house. You probably have one, you know, where people are coming over, put it in the closet. And then you tell them where the bathrooms are, but don't open that door. Why? Because you might hurt yourself if you open it, right? An avalanche might fall on you. It's all the unfinished things. God doesn't have a closet like that. There's nothing unfinished. He finishes everything, he says. Now, you and I might struggle with the timing, but that's just because his timing's perfect and our timing's not. So we wrestle with that. But he does it. And so it says, all this was spoken to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here's a quote from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, remember what we said about names, right? They have significance to them. Jesus, the Lord, saves. He's going to save his people from their sin. Notice, he's going to call him Emmanuel. Then then Matthew gives us a little parenthesis, right, to help us know what that name means and why it's significant. The virgin's going to conceive, bring forth a child. You're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Now, think about that in the context of the story. Here's Joseph worried about his life, his whole family, his whole plans are upheaved. life's subject to change, but then he finds out, whoa, this is not God not doing something, this is actually God doing the greatest thing he's ever done. And just because I don't see it or understand it doesn't mean God's not at work and God shows him this. And that's why he says you don't have to fear. Actually, what's going on here, Joseph, is God is faithful and he's fulfilling his promise. The greatest promise ever to bring deliverance to his people. Actually, when you think God has abandoned you in this situation, the opposite is true. God is with you in it. The tables are totally turned. Remember what I said at the very beginning of the message when Adam sinned against God? And he named the emotion, I was afraid. Why did he say he was afraid? Very interestingly, he said, I was afraid because I heard you coming. Isn't that striking? That Adam, right after his sin, was terrified because of God's presence. Why? Because he knew he was guilty in his sin. Here we're told that God is at work to save from sin. And God's presence is not what terrifies us, it's what comforts us. Why? Because in Christ, our sins will be dealt with. He will save us from our sins. So now God's presence is not what we run away from, it's what we run to. Why? Because we have no need to fear now. Because Jesus is here. And he will save us from our sin. God will judge our sin, he will judge it in his Son. Who knew no sin... But became sin for us, the Apostle Paul said, so that through him, you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So our sin is dealt with through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And that gives us freedom from the deepest fear you and I will ever have in life because of our salvation in Christ. So notice what it says, press the pause button, verse 24, the story picks up again. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, remember, the angel was talking to him in a dream. When he awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Two things. He took Mary as his wife. Why? Because the angel said, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. So it seems that fear has lost its grip on him. See, when you and I are fearful, we don't do what God wants us to do. We're paralyzed, or we actually move in the opposite direction. But when we believe and when we embrace what God says is true, we act differently. Not in fear, but in faith, trusting God. And so he took Mary's wife, but he didn't know her. Now that word know is this idea of this relationship they're in means he had no physical union with her until, it says, she gave birth to the son that's supernaturally conceived by the power of the Spirit. And after she gave birth to him, Joseph called him what the angel said to call him, Jesus, the Savior. You might be sitting here and thinking, oh, that, that sounds great. I'm glad it kind of worked out for Joseph. But what about my fear? I mean, remember you asked at the beginning, do you deal with fear? And by the way, Pete, you said you deal with fear. So how do you deal with your fear? (laughs) Well, you, you may not like the answer, but I think it's what God's word tells us. And God keeps his promises and his word. But I think you and I deal with our fear the same way actually Joseph moved through this. If Joseph was afraid of this in this story because he didn't see what God was doing or understand it, and so he was torn, and he didn't know what to do, uncertain about the future, his life was upended, he's racked with fear, and then God comes into his life and speaks to him, uses the angel in the dream in this particular case, and says, don't fear, because actually God is at work, And because of what God is doing in Christ, you can rest in that work and fear begins to lose its grip on you. You know, God has given us, if you're a believer in Christ today, opportunities to engage and embrace Him in ways that are powerful in terms of how the Spirit of God works in those ways to transform our hearts more and more to resting and trusting in Him, not walking in fear, but walking in faith. What are some of these ways? Reading the Scripture and prayerfully focusing on what God says is true and asking His Spirit to empower us and enable us to believe that more deeply than we've ever believed it before. And when you and I gaze into the beauty and faithfulness and power of God, provision of God, salvation of God, blessings of God in Christ, fear begins to lose its grip on us. I like what one pastor said, the opposite of fear is not courage, it's faith. God is not saying, okay, you need to get strong now. No, God's saying, you need to believe me now. And when you believe me, your fear will begin to subside. So I'd like to do something with you as we close today. I'll tell you one other passage. Flip over to the book of Romans. So you're in Matthew, just keep going to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, the book of Romans, and look at chapter 5. And I think there are some little bookmarks I've brought for you today, and we're going to pass these out. So if someone can help us with that, that'd be great. Thank you so much. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I know sometimes people don't like writing in their Bibles and such. Uh, so, so maybe you could use this little bookmark, then you could put it in your Bible, and you could let this kind of be something that you look back on. So take one of these little bookmarks. If you have a pen, take it. Uh, I want us to read the first five verses of Romans 5. And then I want to just draw your attention to some key things that God has done for us in Christ. Now, you don't have a lot of space to write on this bookmark. So you're going to have to really kind of be abbreviated. But what I would encourage you to do is jot down the key words and then maybe go home this afternoon or sometime this week and go back over this and maybe get a journal where you can write a little further and unpack it a little bit more. And then whatever it is you're wrestling with and fear in your life, I would like for you, encourage you, prayerfully encourage you to take a good, long, deep look these things just from this passage and ask God deepen my faith and trust in you God this is what I'm fearful about this is what my heart is fretting about this is what I'm troubled about this is what I can't control God I don't know what's going to happen but this is what you have done and because you've done this I can rest in you that you are at work For your good purposes. So here it is. And and I'll I'll mention the things maybe you want to jot down on this bookmark. So Romans chapter 5 beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Maybe you want to write the word justified at the top of that bookmark. Justified. Justified by faith. And notice he said therefore. You know what that means? He's picking up on what he just talked about in Romans 4. Where Paul is making the argument that no one is right before God through their works. They're right before God because of the work of Jesus Christ for them and them trusting in that work. That's what makes them right before God. Jesus, not themselves. So God has worked to bring you into a right relationship with himself through his son. Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins justified by faith he goes on and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ maybe the next word you want to jot down is peace now notice this is peace with God it means you're not in an enemy relationship with God you're God's child now if you got if you're if you have children today would you not do everything in your power to provide them and if they're worried and stressed out over things let them know that you hear them you know them you're with them you're never going to leave them never going to forsake them and you're walking this journey with them Would you not say that to your kids as parents? Well, how much more would God say that to you as his child? You're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. We were his enemies, but now we're his adopted sons and daughters. He's our father. And notice what he says, through him, Jesus Christ, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So write the word grace down. And if you want a bullet point, a little two things under the word of grace, Paul tells us two things. You have access to it. We come before God's throne, the writer of Hebrews says, and we find it to be a throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus has paid the price for us, and he is the one we stand in. We stand in this grace. So under grace, you can write access. Under grace, you can write stand. That's where you and I stand now in relationship to God is grace. Why? Because of Christ. And he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is a big one. You can write the word rejoice. You can write the word hope. And you can write the word glory. Jesus actually said in John 16, take heart. Why? Because I've already overcome the world. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've already overcome it. We have... A ground for joy today, not because all our circumstances are perfect, but because Christ is with us and has secured us no matter what the circumstances are. And that never changes. And we have hope. Now, hope is not crossing your fingers, squinting your eyes, and holding your breath just thinking maybe it's going to come true. Hope is a settled, rock-solid assurance because Jesus did it. You and I are not keeping the plate spinning, hoping it turns out all right. Read the last chapters of the book. It turns out all right. Why? Because Christ has done it. That's our hope. And that's the word glory. We have no idea where we're headed. Uh, It's awesome, (laughs) right? It's awesome that you and I are heading out of this fallen world into this total restoration that God's bringing in Christ. Now, all of you might say this. Reading these verses and saying, okay, great, Uh, that's supposed to give me comfort in my fear. I live in the here and now. You know, I got a job to go to tomorrow morning. Yeah, I know. Paul knows that too. So look at the next verse. More than that, not just hope for the hereafter, but more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Whoa, okay, now, now we are at Maricopa, Arizona, right? Now we are on planet Earth, right? This is a fallen place. There's suffering here. And Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know this to be true. So you might say, um, here you put the word suffering, and then maybe a little arrow, and the word endurance. Why can we rejoice in the midst of our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Under that, you might put the word endurance, a little arrow, and the word character. And character, endurance produces character. And under that, you might put the word character, a little line, and the word hope again. Now we've come full circle. We started at hope, and we're ending at hope. And the journey is suffering, endurance, character. Here's what God is saying. Even though you and I go through pain in this life, we can take hope because we know that God is faithful, not just to save our souls, but to cultivate in us a dependence upon him by the power of his spirit. And no matter what we suffer, God is creating in us endurance, resting and trusting in him, even in the midst of the suffering. And as we do this, it creates character. It builds us and strengthens us by the power of God's spirit for his glory and for his honor. And that brings us back to know that through all of our struggles, we have hope of what God is ultimately doing. Because look at how he wraps this up, because hope does not put us to shame Why? Because God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, remember the Spirit worked in Mary's womb? Well, the Spirit's working in your life too. He lives within you if you're a child of God. In fact, Paul says he's given to us the gift of the Spirit. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Paul says the Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. Paul's going to say just a few chapters later in Romans 5 that all things work together for good to those who love God. Paul's going to say that the sufferings of this present world are not even worth being compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Notice what he says about rejoicing and hope and glory. And then he says, who's going to lay anything to your charge? Is anything going to be able to separate you from God's love in Christ? And the answer is a resounding no. Why? Because Jesus came to save his people from their sin. Now let me ask you, as we close today, if you take that bookmark, and there's nothing fancy about the bookmark, it's cardstock. (laughs) But if you take the bookmark and you put it in Romans 5, And you go throughout this week and every time you begin to wrestle with fear, you take a passage like this and you say, God, my heart is racked with fear. I am afraid, God. But I know your word says that you are faithful and you sent Christ into the world not just to save me for the sweet by and by, but in my suffering, In my struggles, you've given me access to your grace. It's where I stand. I come before your throne and it's a throne of grace. And you love me and I'm secure in you. And your Holy Spirit lives within me. And you never abandon me and you never forsake me. You love me more than I could ever possibly imagine because of what you did to save me. The bookmark's not anything fancy, but God's spirit works as we look to his truth and ask him to enable us to rest in the power of his spirit and fear begins to lose its grip on our hearts and our minds because God deepens our faith in him. Remember that dad that came to Jesus one time and his son was demon possessed and he said I brought him to disciples but they couldn't do anything. Please help me. Jesus said, if you believe, remember what that dad said? I love it. So refreshing. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think as you and I come to God, if we're honest, we would say, God, I believe. By your grace, I do believe. But my heart's still struggling today. Help my unbelief. And I'm not no Rocky Balboa Christian trying to take it on my own. No, God, I need the power of your spirit to do this in me. And God works. Corey Ten Boom, who spent time in a concentration camp for sheltering Jews during World War II, lost family members in that concentration camp, actually. She made a statement one time that I think is really, really powerful. She said, look around you. And be distressed. Look within you and be depressed. Look at Christ and be at rest. You might have wanted a one, two, three answer to dealing with fear. I think the answer is for us, by God's grace, to gaze into who Christ is and what He's done for us and trust the power of the Spirit. Because we're at rest in Him. And as God cultivates that, we experience it. Again, Jesus said in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome it. Let's pray today. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you so much that you're faithful. Thank you that even when we don't see how you are working, it doesn't mean you're not. You're always working. You said you're working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you that even while we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your love for us and sent Christ into the world to die for us. And he was buried and he rose again. And through his resurrection, we who were enslaved to the fear of death all our life long are now free because death has been overcome And even though we continue living in this world with all of its struggles and challenges, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And you are at work. And we pray that you would cultivate in us by the power of your spirit, Lord, deeper and deeper desire to gaze into the truth of your word and to prayerfully rest in your truth and to walk in faith And to see fear lose its grip in our lives. Because you are a faithful God. Who has provided our redemption. And everything we need for life and godliness. In Christ Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters as we go through this week. That this would not be something we would hear today in a sermon. But that it would be something on Monday morning. On Wednesday afternoon. On Friday whenever the fear raises its head that we would rest and look to you and to see your truth set us free. In Christ's name we pray.